Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to My Haunted Life Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Hartshorn, and today I am finally continuing the saga that is Emma and Alice Crawford. Trigger warning here. There is some talk about a suicide attempt associated with this mystery, so, you know, prepare yourself for that sort of thing. Good morning, my goblins and ghouls, my legendary cryptids. How is everyone doing today? I hope it is absolutely awesome because you are indeed absolutely awesome. So just me or is anyone already missing October? Like, not like October, October, like the month itself, but like the idea of October. Being able to do all the fun fall stuff. Even Grandma was bringing this up the other day that it seemed like October just disappeared this year. Now, I know this October was really rough on a lot of people. So I hope everybody is taking it easy on themselves. I usually throw myself into doing so much in October, because that's my busy season, that I kind of miss the fun of it. So now uh, I'm like throwing myself into Christmas. Let me tell you all the holiday stuff. We have winter solstice traveling coming up here. And there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. You know, holiday season is in full swing and that means a lot of stress for a lot of us. Give yourself a lot of grace. Make sure you have a safe place, but don't take any shit. My therapist basically told me that, not in the same words, but I'm paraphrasing. You get it. November, I feel like it just destroyed me mentally. Maybe it was October and I just needed more uh, recovery time. Burnout is real, you guys. Take care of yourself. I I fell off the face of the planet because I had to. I usually don't allow that for myself. I usually just work until I quite literally can't. So that's why I disappeared for a little bit there trying to figure out that work-life balance and uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm trying. That being said, for those that follow Heart and Horn, my main business, I have dropped some winter goodies and presents on the website. Um, and for the first time, I am starting to take appointments for end-of-the-year readings. So if you're ever interested in getting a bone reading, here is your chance. I also have uh, the custom poppets that I've always done at oddity shows. I have that available online now, and I might add another one. We'll see how time goes, but keep an eye out for that. I'm also trying to figure out gift cards, so check that out when you can. Oh, I also realized after the fact that last time I didn't explain 
what was up with that banger of a song called Spirit Rappings? Uh, it's the one that plays right before the spiritualism segment. And I just thought it was a lot of freaking fun. Uh, it was apparently published in 1853 when spiritualism was getting really, really popular. And this brought the idea of seances and communicating with other spirits, you know, the whole get together seance to a brand new and curious audience. People started looking into it even more so. So I thought that was really interesting. This week, finally, I am finishing up the story of Alice Crawford Snow. If you haven't listened to part one, I really recommend you do. There is a lot of nuance to the history that we're going to start talking about in this episode, but this is the episode where everything... It just goes apeshit crazy. Let's just throw it out there. Last time we ended with Alice being found in a burning bed. So we're gonna start there and talk about that. And then the ensuing mystery that just, like encased this family and followed Alice for the rest of her life and her afterlife. So let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. Woman is helpless in blazing bed shoots self in knee rescuer forces entrance into haunted house mystery surrounds injury to mrs margaret crawford snow of manitou but for the timely visit and presence of mind of john t white a colorado springs attorney mrs margaret crawford snow formerly an eminent dramatic reader would probable have burned to death in bed yesterday afternoon in her home in the much talked of haunted house on red mountain manitou just after she had accidentally shot herself through the knee with a 32 caliber iver johnson revolver she will recover but may be lamed for life if the kneecap is fractured. She is about 30 years old. Despite her denial, it is believed that Mrs. Snow was preparing suicide and was about to point the revolver at a vital spot when the accident occurred. She was divorced from her husband, a wealthy businessman now living in Alaska, a few months ago, and has been in a straightened financial circumstances for some time, it is said. Why Mrs. Snow, after making an appointment with Attorney White, should have been in bed with the doors locked and the blinds drawn toying with a revolver at five o'clock in the afternoon has not been explained. She maintains that the shooting was entirely accidental. The bullet entered her left leg just above the knee and lodged in the knee. 
Mrs. Snow will be taking, taken to St. Francis Hospital this morning. Attorney White had been requested by Mrs. Snow to carry to call in regard to a proposed loan. When he approached the residence at 5.10 o'clock, he found the doors locked and the window shades drawn. Greeted by the smell of smoke, he hurriedly entered through a window and found Mrs. Snow helplessly helpless in bed and the bedclothes burning. She told him that she could not move as she had accidentally shot herself. Bundling up the bedclothes, Mr. White threw them out of a window, and after learning that the woman was not burned, he summoned Dr. H.M. Ogilby. Mrs. Snow, who before her retirement from the stage was one of the most talented dramatic readers in America, is the daughter of Madame Crawford and the sister of the late Emma Crawford, the great pianist. The body of Miss Crawford is buried just across the ravine near the Snow House. Mrs. Snow, who came here about two years ago to live, has been planning to remove the body from the storm-swept mountain. Madam Crawford and Mrs. Snow's little daughter of a former marriage, Alice, left last Monday for a trip to California. For years, the house in which Mrs. Snow lives has been known as the Haunted House. Recently, Madam Crawford, who was interested in things physical, believes that she heard the spirit of her daughter Emma playing on the black velvet draped piano which occupies a conspicuous place in the Snow home. Mrs. Snow's first husband was an actor. Colorado Springs Gazette, Monday, February 14th, 1910. So, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, they don't use commas that often or period. So I'm really sorry that's a giant run-on sentence because that's how it's written. I always find it interesting that for some reason with Alice and Emma and a lot of the newspapers I found, they have the wrong names. That is so weird to me. Um, this one, you know, calls Alice Margaret and her daughter Alice, which is confusing as I'll get out. So, you know, weird things, weird words, that kind of thing. So, but I am going to give you a warning ahead of time that a lot of the segments in this part are from the new the newspapers at the time they are I am bringing them to you as well as I can <laughs> so White the attorney that found her described the incident to the Colorado Springs to a Colorado Springs journal reporter I knocked at the door and received no answer. I then went back 
I then went to the back door, but could rouse no one there. I returned to the front of the house, where I was attracted by the beckoning by a beckoning hand at the window, and Mrs. Snow said to me through the glass that she was unable to rise from the bed, but for me to come in through the window. I supposed she ill with some sudden sickness, but I hesitated to enter through the window. She insisted, though, and finally I went around to the back of the house and forced my way in. Mrs. Snow then told me that she had accidentally shot herself in the knee. The bed was on fire, but not blazing much. I threw some quilts upon it and smothered it out what flame there was. I could not do anything for her injury and, of course, did not try. But I notified the sheriff after failing to reach the county physician and turned the matter over to the county. I took the precaution to bring her revolver away from her. Alice was taking, taken to St. Saint Francis Hospital to receive care for her wound. The bullet entered just above the knee and took a downward course. So, I don't know when, like, I was first reading it. I don't know if you guys could hear it in my voice, but I definitely cringed. Anything knees, mm, mm, that, that gets to me. Anyways, while the wound is not serious, complications may set in, according to Dr. McKinney, that may cripple her for life. She was in a coma and unconscious for a time. The Denver Post reported that after an operation, Alice was moved to the charity ward. So, what the hell happened? Honestly, the speculation around Alice and what happened in that room that night, really? And I know, maybe it's just because I was watching a bunch of this stuff not that long ago, but it really reminded me of the Britney Spears shaved head era. The papers just would not leave her alone. And they literally printed all of the salacious rumors they could. Even one of her obituaries many years later, published in the Philadelphia Inquirer, had to bring up the shooting. And that it was still a mystery and all this. She couldn't escape it. So... It, it, it was in, it's so weird. It was one of those, I kind of had to take a break from researching at one point because I was just getting so angry. Because that was, that was it. So, she says it was an accident. That she accidentally shot herself in her left leg just above the knee with the revolver. That's her story. It was an accident. Why she had the gun. Why things caught on fire. None of that's really ever explained. Although the big explanation for the fire was the gun going off and sparking the bed sheets, which I could totally see. But there were a lot of rumors. Most of these 
fell into attempted murder, suicide attempt, or lay blame on the paranormal happenings in the house. So we're going to break down all of this. So here's the murder mystery side. On February 16th, 1910, the Denver Post ran a headline that read, Owner of Hat May Explain Shooting of Mrs. Snow. The story goes on to say that a brand new circa 1910 men's derby hat was found on the serving table and a dent had been kicked in the kitchen door. That was a bit of a dead end, though. Like, there, I could not find any more about this mysterious hat. I was wondering if maybe the kicked-in door was the attorney. Like, how could they tell if the door was... I, I was very... I wasn't 100% on this one. But this ran, and people got all kinds of gossipy. But it was a dead end. Then it was reported, Little John Olson, a young cripple. Now, I would like to point out, I am using words that they used. So, uh, who worked at odd jobs, but generally was a plumber's helper, chief lead to plumber Ben Leonard, who incidentally was one of the pallbearers who helped carry poor Emma Crawford to her lonely grave at the summit of Red Mountain 20 years before. Besides playing plumber's helper when his help was needed, little John was doing chores for Miss Snow in Redstone Castle. He brought in wood for a huge fireplace and stocked the furnace in the basement, feeding plenty of coal to keep the big castle warm until the next morning. Little John had finished his evening chores at the castle and had left barely minutes before the lone occupant attended attempted to leave this world for the next if she had died of her wounds or the flames little john would have been arrested at once for her murder it was four days before the landlord who had been in denver on business produced the letter that proved she had attempted murder and during that time john was held under suspicion by many of his erstwhile friends and neighbors. He was known to be the last person to see her alive. And he was seen coming down the hill from the castle shortly before the lawyer arrived. And reported that Miss Snow had been shot and her bed set afire. This story comes from our friend Bill Crosby again, from the article in the Gazette Telegraph, October 25th, 1969. Now, I'm wondering if this is a reprint of his story, because 
I saw him cited in 1947 as well, talking about Emma and Alice. He continues that if the next theory hadn't come out, that little John would have had would not have had a leg to stand on if it had turned out different. In other words, Alice surviving. Now, this obviously didn't go anywhere because Alice survived. And now we're going to go into the most accepted theory of what happened, which was, as I've already talked about a little bit, a suicide attempt. Alice, as we know, had been going through some pretty deep shit. Alice's divorce had gone through only three months prior to this happening. This this is to the Klondike gambler guys. So I thought it was interesting. The other article, it just said businessman. Uh, it was discovered after the shooting that Alice was also in financial, like, trouble. It seems like all of her money had disappeared. Some people claim she lost all of her money and was to the point of starvation. There were rumors that she hadn't eaten in 10 days before the incident. There were other reports. That she was nine months behind on the rent and had wrote in a letter to her landlord that she would kill herself if he evicted her. So, we kind of talked about that already with the little John story. It was that letter that ended up saving him. But I'm... The ten days without eating... I have no idea where that comes in whatsoever. It doesn't seem to be substantiated whatsoever. Just throwing that out there. So it's it, it's a very interesting thing. But, so the theory was she was too proud to ask strangers for help. So instead, it was rumored that she attempted to kill herself. Another low blow was reported by the Gazette on February 16th that Alice had written to a friend after she failed to get a theatrical engagement at Denver and told her that soon all will be over. Apparently, she had gone to Denver after her family had left. So remember, her mom and sister, or I'm sorry, her mom and daughter are gone. They're out in California. Her mom's out being her pianist, organist, playing self, and the daughter's out there with her. So that's what, they're out. So while they were gone, she goes to Denver trying to get any kind of stage work and It was turned down over and over. This quote-unquote failure seemed to be reported in every freaking newspaper, describing her as a failed actress in many of the headlines. 
And this followed her for the rest of her life. Again, these were the things that got me so angry. I had to take a break from it. Like the stuff previous is talks about how wonderful and great she is. After this accident or attempt, we don't know. Uh, that's, it was it. Failed. Everything was failed. She was a horrible actress. All, it was, uh, uh. Now, Alice adamantly denied the suicide attempt. Even though the papers reported the salacious part about attempted suicide, they almost always followed it up with the course taken by the bullet did not support the claim that the woman shot herself. Like, where she shot herself would not have killed her. The burning bed? Yeah, eventually. Maybe. Um, But shooting yourself in the knee is not going to kill you. It was reported she even asked her physician, shall I ever dance again? The question gave an inkling of the woman's temperament and her friends are loath to believe she wanted to die. So that's another quote from a paper. There's a lot of quotes from papers written in here. Now, our buddy, William Bill S. Crosby, the friend of the family with the stories of Emma and her spirit guide, claimed in an article published in 1967 that the lawyer, the lawyer that came and saved her, quote unquote, was more than just a lawyer. According to Bill, the two were actually courting, you know, Victorian dating. And he, the lawyer, was the one that gave her money for the trip to Denver to try and find theater work. Now, this seems to counter some of the previous claims. Yes, her divorce had just gone through, but it sounds like she was in a new relationship. And now, to be fair, that does not mean that she's not depressed as hell, of course. But, you know, it kind of... That's not the only thing on her mind. It also sounds like she was willing to ask him for the help with money. So... Here's this bow, potential bow, giving her money for this trip to Denver. Why, you know, something. So there's there's some weird things going on right there. To me, that makes me think that most of the rumors are just bullshit. <laughs> Not saying she didn't have mental health issues, but the argument over her divorce and the starvation from being too poor and being too proud to ask for help kind of, to me, go out the window a little bit there. Just saying. So. You know. 
it here's the thing we're we're never gonna know the truth it just it's just how it is i couldn't find any more from this lawyer i don't know if he added any more to the story who knows again most of our stories come from our buddy bill and it is what it is so by february 23rd and again the papers just would not let it go at all um where am i by february 23rd the newspapers reported that jeanette and Alice's daughter, Maureen, returned to Colorado on account of the accident and that Jeanette believed her daughter was mentally unbalanced at the time of the shooting due to her strained personal and financial affairs. Now, that being said, that is not a quote from her mother, that's just the paper saying, oh, that's why she's back. I think that's an important distinction. The article also stated that Madame Crawford was thinking of starting an investigation as she believed a picture of her daughter, I believe Emma, was stolen from Redstone Castle by a Denver newspaper representative. Now, I totally believe this. If you look into any of the lack of journalism, journalistic, journalistic ethics at the time, I could totally steal, see a journalist stealing something. On April 1st, the Manitou Springs Journal reported that Alice had recovered sufficiently to leave St. Francis Hospital and that she would not suffer any bad effects from the accident. Although the paper did not state where Alice and her daughter would reside after Alice's full recovery, it was speculated that the two would return to California to live with Jeanette Crawford, who was working as an organist at the Unitarian Church in San Jose. So, I thought it was interesting that Alice was out there all by herself. When the 1910 federal census was taken a few weeks later on April 20th, Alice and her 12-year-old daughter were found boarding with Julia Couch at 839 High Street in Colorado Springs. It sounds like Alice never went back to Manitou and Redstone Castle. Katie Rudolph, who was the one that wrote a lot of the history of Alice that we talked about in the first episode, wrote that Alice Gertrude Crawford Snow died on May 15, 1917, at the age of 50, and was buried with a humble headstone in Calvary Cemetery in Los Angeles, California. Madam Jeanette Webster Crawford died on February 12, 1928 in Sternberg, Massachusetts 
at the age of 86. It is said that up to the age of 80, she was still charming audiences with piano and organ concerts. She was preceded in death by her husband, Nathan, and her children. Ready for this one? Emma, 1891, Alice, 1917, and Minnie, 1924. I have no idea who Minnie is. <laughs> First and only time I've seen this name. The story of what became of Alice's daughter, Maureen Snow, is unknown. Now, again, this is the first time I've seen Minnie. I know nothing about her, and I thought that was a... It was really interesting that nothing was found on Maureen after that. I'm wondering if maybe Maureen, or Minnie, is Maureen. Like, they just screwed up the name, assumed it was her daughter, because she was always with her grandmother, it sounds like. Now, she only, there's only a seven-year age difference. Or no, it would have been seven years difference. So, that is honestly my guess. I, I bet Maureen and Minnie are the same person. Can't prove it. But it's my weird hunch. Because where in the hell is Minnie? <laughs> and where was she through all of this? Alice, even in death, could not escape the salacious rumors being reprinted in her obituaries. Bringing up the failed marriage to Theodore Snow. The time she couldn't get an acting gig in Denver. Referring to her as a failed artist. A lot of times not even mentioning her previous triumphs and then bringing up the shooting reporting that some say it was a suicide attempt. That's always how they put it. They never say, oh, it was this. It was, you know, that putting it out there just in case. All of this over and over again in reports of her death in the papers. I was honestly disheartened for Alice. I don't blame her for leaving and living in obscurity because she was hounded forever for this. So, now, the attempted murder story didn't go anywhere. And the suicide attempt, though, you know, it sells papers, is not what people want to focus on. And we really don't know if that's what happened either. So this brings us to our third theory, which is the paranormal had a hand in all this. And this is the one that takes some turns. Like we talked about last time, the Crawfords were big spiritualists. Emma was really into spirit guides, leading to her climbing a mountain that probably made her condition worse and hasten her death. Madame Jeanette taught classes and gave lectures on spiritualism, and Alice conducted seances in Redstone Castle. 
so much so that it famously became known as the House of Mystery and was claimed to be haunted even in 1910. According to our friend Bill in the article from 1967, there were long periods of time when the castle stood vacant and it was believed by many to be haunted but the haunts became certainty after Alice Crawford in 1908 now quick sidebar Manitou is known to be haunted and a very spiritual place to the youths this was a place of the dead to them they would bury their dead around the valley here they never camped here but instead this area more in the area of what is now red rock open space if anybody's familiar with the area this was just a place reserved for the spirits i'm assuming that's what the article is talking about but it's manitou everything is haunted anyway Back to the article. She was, as were her mother and sister and many friends, a spiritualist and a medium. Seances were held in the castle two or three times a week, attended by many of the faithful and undoubtedly by a few non-believers. Bill Crosby attended a few of the seances, and he says that he... They were really worth the price of admission. They would have tables and chairs walking all over the place and a device that sounded like an old time radio blaring right over the medium's head. But there were no radios then. Bill went up to see if he could find the device after the medium had left, but someone had beat it, him to it. Bill Crosby says the medium act, the medium's acting talent was a great help to her in her work of conjuring up the spirits of the dead. Besides the sound effects, she controlled a weird group of lights. These together with her magnificent acting kept the avid believers on the ten, tenter hooks. So I had to look up what tenter hooks meant, which is a hook used to fasten cloth on a drying frame or tenter. But used in this way, it means waiting nervously for something. We know spooky things were happening with the Crawfords, even with Alice's accident. The Denver Post speculated that Alice had been a victim of drugs and spiritualistic hallucinations and had tired of existence and its disillusionments. Now, local folklore, because of course we're around this story, the fact that, you know, Emma came washing down the mountain and we now have the coffin races in town. These stories don't go anywhere. They just keep coming up at least once a year. So the local folklore has had some fun with it. People believe Alice was not aiming the gun at herself, 
but something only she could see. Uh-huh. As the story goes, since the Crawfords were doing seances in the house, maybe they had done too many, and the house had basically become a portal, and the wrong spirit had been conjured up that Alice decided to take care of herself. And since Alice was home alone, it decided to mess with her more, and she defended herself or was surprised by the spirit. Now, this makes a lot of sense if you like really look into Ouija board lores and stuff like that. Doing it too much causes issues. Doing it by yourself causes issues. If you read the instructions for a Ouija board, do not do it by yourself. It's like number one rule. It might be number two. I don't remember. But it's on the list. It's like, it has to be top three. So, okay, that that's plausible to me. Now, this was one that I thought was really interesting. It is rumored that Alice may have gone too far with her seances and had become possessed. Which is really interesting. So, like we said, Ouija boards and seances, most spirit work, don't do it alone. There are many reasons for this. One, you have someone to collaborate your experience or another set of eyes to help explain things. Another reason is that spirit work is dangerous. Ouija boards in particular have a reputation of people getting obsessed and just spiraling. It can become an addiction that people will lose themselves in. I have met people who have done this and they are just as strung out as any other addict. I'm wondering if this is what happened to Alice now. Having a seance two to three times a week, according to Bill, uh, seems like a lot. And that just sounds like it would be spiritually exhausting and would take a toll on you mentally and physically. So... We know something was going on with Alice. Could she have been possessed? The theory is that she did try to kill herself to rid her body of the spirit that possessed her. Maybe that's why when she recovered enough, the family left, never to return. It's so strange to me with how obsessed they were with communicating with Emma just to leave it all behind on a moment's notice. I think that's really interesting. So, you know. But that being said, it doesn't seem like Alice's spirit has actually left the area. A local ghost hunter, Tamil Wright, 
claims during an investigation that a woman was heard singing opera at 4 a.m. when my crew was packing up at 4 a.m. She claims that Alice sang nightly at what is now the Iron Springs Chateau, which was run as a nightclub in the 1890s. Now, I couldn't find anything about that, just church engagements. But that would be absolutely lovely if she continued to perform like she loved so much for all eternity. Now, I'm trying to get into Iron Springs Chateau to do a ghost hunt, so keep an eye out for that. Keep your fingers crossed. In the years since, Redstone Castle had been the subject of ghost lore and high school dares while serving as a private residence and occasionally a bed and breakfast. It is also amazingly well-preserved, its various owners recognizing its beauty and significance. Apparently, one of the former mayors of Manitou lives there now? I, I saw something where the Al, uh, ghost of Alice is still said to be there. But I found another article that seems to quote the mayor. And the only thing that haunts the house is their cat named Emma. Which I think is really stinking cute. Now. Many claim they have seen Alice walking on the slopes of Iron Mountain, which is around here. Even though she didn't die here, she sure went through some ridiculous things. So it would make sense if her spirit still lingered around, especially since her sister Emma, the one she tried so hard to connect to, is said to still wander around as well. And sometimes pops by to still play piano. Manitou Springs, where I live, is famous for its weirdness. Our town motto is keep Manitou weird, but in many of my travels, I have found a couple of places that use that model, motto. So we might not be that unique in that sentiment but we have a special blend and weird and wonderful here our big claim to fame however is still pretty freaking unique and that is the emma crawford coffin races i don't care they started here In the wake of Alice's departure, Emma's grave once again gained notoriety when the Louisville and Nashville Railroad made a failed attempt to build an incline railroad to the summit of Red Mountain in 1912. Complete with a casino was supposed to have. I think that's pretty cool. Emma's burial spot was in the path, so her casket was exhumed and moved to the south slope of the mountain. In 1929, after years of harsh winters and spring rains, 
Emma and her coffin came racing down the mountainside. On August 4th, 1929, two young boys happened upon her remains, finding the casket handles, a nameplate, and a few bones, including her skull. Marshal David S. Banks of Manitou investigated and found, wrapped in a bundle, human bones, and a handle of the coffin. The at the back of the Colorado House on Waltham Avenue. The Colorado House, a boarding house, was located at 397 Manitou Avenue, now 1143 Manitou Avenue, and the property extended between Manitou and Waltham Avenues. Given the proximity to Red Mountain, the remains had been removed to Waltham from where they were originally found. The remains were stored at Manitou City Hall while trying in vain to find her mother and sister. This is 1929, so mother and sister have already passed at this point. In the issue of the reburial of Emma on Red Mountain, the El Paso County Coroner, Dr. G.B. Gilmore, claimed that he had no jurisdiction in the matter, as it was outside of an incorporated town, as was Red Mountain. Persons could bury their dead where they wished. Ah, the 20s. The August 16, 1929 Gazette reported that a new grave for Emma Crawford would be dug in the Manitou Cemetery. Some stories suggest that Emma was buried in an unmarked grave, but she has an extra lovely, though quite modern looking tombstone. I wonder if they buried her and because they couldn't find her family to pay for it. She didn't have a marker. And then knowing our town, people found out about this and decided to bring up a collection and get her one a little bit more recently. Unfortunately, our heritage center is closed for repairs. I didn't get a chance to ask before then. I can't help but wonder if all of this moving around of Emma's grave has not allowed her or her little sister, whose spirits were so interconnected, to rest in peace. And that's why they're still hanging around. But for those who want to experience the story, the coffin races are always... I believe, the Saturday before Halloween. And it's a fun time. It really is. I'm not going to be there at this next one. I have an oddity show in Sacramento. So go out. Have fun. Do spooky stuff for me.
Thank you to everyone out there listening today. My Haunted Life podcast is written, researched, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Angela Hartshorn. All of my sources are in the show notes and on the website, myhauntedlifepodcast.com, and on the Patreon page. Yes, I'm going to get that all nice and updated very shortly. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm pretty sure we're on, like, everyone available. At least I've tried to make sure. If you are interested in more pictures, videos, and info for this week's episode, make sure to go to the Patreon page. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show for as little as $2 a month, which, you know, I would I'd really appreciate that. It would mean a lot to me. I think you could subscribe for free, but don't. I'm not very good at this, as we all know. If you have any information about today's episode, like ghost stories, like maybe you've had an encounter with your own indigenous spirit guide on the top of Ren Mountain, or a ghost story of any kind of your own to share, email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or write me on the Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I like the YouTube. I think it's cool. I need to do more actual YouTube videos and not just the podcast recordings. While you are there, please like and follow and comment. It honestly makes my day. And let's not forget the podcast group. We have a lot of fun on there. We, we have a lot of ghosty memes going on. And make sure you tell your friends and family. Please, please, please. Word of mouth goes a long way. Music is by Ghost Stories Incorporated. And that's it for this week, my dears. I will all see you next time on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay spooky.